are listening to Ethnomusicology Today, a podcast produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology devoted to the exploration of contemporary issues in global music studies. I'm Trevor Harvey. This November, the Society for Ethnomusicology will hold its 64th annual meeting in Bloomington, Indiana. On November 6th, the day before the start of the annual conference, the Society will present two pre-conference symposia, one focused on film as ethnography and the other on Latin American brass bands. In this episode, we talk with Javier Leon and Ed Wolf about the upcoming 2019 pre-conference symposium, Heritage and the Politics of Inclusion in Latin American Brass Bands. Thank you both, Javier and Ed, for taking time to talk with me today about the pre-conference symposium, Heritage and the Politics of Inclusion in Latin America Brass Bands. Ed, you're at University of Oregon and Javier at uh, Indiana University. What what brought you two together in order to organize this symposium? Um, for me, one of the initial ideas for, for the symposium came a few years ago. I, I got to go visit the Music Instrument Museum in Phoenix um, as an auditor, I was my job was to basically kind of look at the collections that they had put together uh, for the kind of Latin American region, and um, and you know, and just kind of make suggestions or or holes that could be addressed or or redundancies and so forth. And oh, it was a, it was an excellent experience. But one of the things that that kind of struck me and 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 Catherine Hagendorn, who happened to be there at the same time, and we were kind of talking about this through through the four days that we were there is in the kind of U.S. section of the museum, there was this fantastic um, kind of display about kind of the American brass band and, you know, all these kind of old school instruments like Ophelclides and, and, and those tubas that kind of pointed over the shoulder backwards and that, you know, you occasionally see in kind of revival um, marching bands in the United States. And so there was this kind of whole kind of historical context as to the evolution of brass band instruments and the importance of the United States. And we, we kind of got talking and saying, well, you know, it's funny because Latin America has the same thing, but it, it, it usually, I'm not necessarily because uh, the museum was knowingly omitting it, but because it's not even represented in the ethnomusicological literature that much, that, um, we didn't see the same thing in, in, in the Latin American or the Caribbean section, despite the fact that, you know, right off the bat, we could kind of rattle off a whole bunch of different kind of musical styles. And so it kind of came back to the forefront of my mind a few years later when Ed was defending his dissertation and he had an excellent chapter um, specifically about brass bands in Chile. And, and so kind of talking about the larger idea and it looked to me that, a number of people were kind of nipping at the edges of this topic without realizing that there was a larger topic to be addressed directly. And it was more like, well, I'm just happening to do this research about harassments or, um, you know, I have a section of, 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 my, of my book or, or, or my research project devoted to, um, to something else, but that it covers harassments at one point. And so we started thinking, you know, there might, there, there seems to be kind of enough of a critical mass that we could start having a kind of larger conversation. And so that coincided with, with this upcoming meeting of SEM, and we figured it'd be a, a, a good thing to kind of dive into. 
In, in the abstract of the pre-conference symposium, you mentioned that brass bands in Latin America and the Caribbean remain largely hidden in plain sight. And I think many people are surprised to learn that there's not only a strong history, but continuing traditions of brass bands throughout this region. Can you tell us a little bit first about the history of brass bands in Latin America and the Caribbean? From the middle of the 19th century on, uh, you have different kinds of bands usually affiliated with uh, just kind of town ensembles, or if not with uh, police or police units or the military. And these become kind of trading grounds and kind of uh, areas where the community can kind of begin to kind of cultivate music and in, in that particular locality. And you find versions of that in different ways throughout Latin America. I think the other reason why brass bands are so ubiquitous in many ways is that historically throughout the majority of the 20th century, a, a large number of uh, Latin American countries have had uh, mandatory military service of one form or another which has basically led to a number of local musicians who probably played string instruments, guitars, um, violins, at least at least that's kind of what you see in the Andes, when having to go to do their military service, being introduced to bands, um, a lot of them becoming uh, band musicians, you know, different wind instruments, brass especially, and then going back to their, to their hometowns and, and continuing that tradition so that you have basically kind of like a feeder of performers with those instruments going back to their hometowns and then creating uh, these ensembles for uh, patron saint fees and for other kind of local events. Basically, every single country in Latin America has had a, a history that is somewhat analogous or parallel to the history of Banda in Mexico. It's just that those other traditions are not necessarily as well known outside of their home country. So, for example, in Peru, uh, the marinera, which is kind of one of the national dances uh, and which has several regional variants, the northern variant of the marinera, the marinera norteña, has traditionally been performed by, by brass bands. Um, you know, at least for, for about a century, there's still kind of a, a format that is that has become really, uh, that, that remains very popular. In fact, lately there's been some um, kind of reinvention of the genre or, or creating new va- variants. There's, there's a, uh, it's become kind of prominent in, um, in Paso uh, horse competitions where brassians will come and actually perform live music for, um, for the competition so that the horses are actually supposed to dance to uh, to the music at different points. And that kind of sound of the brass band becomes kind of indexical of a particular region of the country. And so that it, it shows up in, o- in other things. So popular music singers of, of, of different stripes in Peru, when they want to give a nod to that region, will, will include in the arrangements, kind of brass band bass arrangements. There's also been a little bit of... Um, uh, an, an interesting resurgence recently of uh, kind of scaled down versions of brass bands that have started to tour outside of Peru, kind of as a way of uh, showcasing all the different kinds of regional musics that you find in the, in the patron saint feast. But you find similar things in other places in Colombia, for example, which is part of what our keynote speaker is going to be talking about. There's been a large um, initiative by the Ministry of Culture to kind of uh, introduce and train people in brass band instruments in the, in the Afro-Colombian region, especially Chocó region. 
So while there's a strong tradition from the 19th century of, and you describe this, uh, Ed, as, as pop music from the 19th century that I think today we, we perceive as, you know, community or even folk uh, lore traditions, brass bands continue to, to influence mainstream popular music in the late 20th and early 21st century. What other examples of brass bands continue to impact and be uh, an important part of popular music in the 21st century throughout Latin America and the Caribbean? Um, of course, you think about the patron saint festivals, you think about the actual parades or the uh, the the moment in which uh, religious dancers will be in front of the saint. But you forget that at, associated with all these, of course, are huge parties afterwards. So um, at least in Chile, where these brass bands range in different sizes, and uh, when you're hiring a smaller band, that band is also playing for the dance afterwards, and most likely they're covering the latest hits off the radio. But at the same time, you have brass bands doing a resurgence and growing in ways that we might associate with sort of dance band formats, Banda Conmoción and other groups that are uh, touring and, and having wonderful concerts um, available and, and you'll see different artists sort of incorporate them in the same way that Beyonce, for example, has started to incorporate uh, marching band in, in some of her music. You'll see some similar kinds of things going on with some of the newer artists uh, in Latin America. One thing you touched on there, Ed, that I'd be interested in both of you responding to is how do you see this particular symposium and spending time to focus on this particular issue right now? Yeah, part of the idea here was, and from my perspective at least, is to make some more resources available. I know that I did one webcast for uh, College Music Society about brass bands and for teaching, um, but I think that we have certain ideas in the United States about what music from Latin America should sound like. And for those of us who do fieldwork in Latin America, we're well aware of the variety of uh, musics that are there and that brass bands are something that need to be paid attention to, but they're not necessarily brought forward themselves as ensembles, I should say, even though they participate in many expressions of, of uh, intangible cultural heritage. They are sort of thought of as periphery to the tradition um, of what's the focus. And so that's part of, I think, what Javier is bringing up in terms of, um, or what the abstract brought up in, in terms of how they're hidden in plain sight. We're we're paying attention to the Carnival of Aruro and we're forgetting about the fact that there's a huge brass band competition that's associated with the bands that play there. And those musicians are also, you know, available for, for lots of other kinds of things, the, the dances that get played, as I mentioned earlier. In terms of politics, obviously there's the politics of heritage that are involved there. Uh, and here locally, again, if you start looking around, here even in Eugene, Oregon, we have two bandas that are formed, one in here in Eugene, one in our sister city here of Springfield, uh, two types of bandas that are formed from different regions uh, within Mexico that reflect sort of the diversity of a larger uh, immigrant population um, relatively recent over the last couple decades. And certainly along the California valleys, um, you'll see that these bandas are popping up. And they're there, but people don't know them. You know, I was surprised, and this may be an anomaly, but a year or two ago when I went to one of the celebrations for the Virgen de Guadalupe, and rather than having the traditional mariachis that you'd, someone had brought in and hired a brass band to play for that. And, um, and it just shows that how, how much uh, that is important to people 
throughout Latin America and also, you know, within the heritage um, that we have to think about that, that that is also something that could be made more visible. And remember that brass bands in a lot of ways are associated with uh, a technology from a technology standpoint in the history of brass bands. They were louder, they were uh, portable, they were you know, associated with power. Um, and uh, neglecting how important that is, is neglecting a part of the history of the region and also the ways in which we think about what Latin Americans are capable of doing in, in different spaces. I think part of what makes it timely is that there's, um, both in Latin America and the United States are beginning to see a growing interest in, in the kind of music education camp. Uh, about kind of exploring alternative repertoires and alternative ways of making music and, and bands can be a, a really kind of compelling component of that. And right now in, in IU, uh, there's a number of different initiatives um, designed to kind of do better outreach with um, underserved populations in, in rural Indiana and in the areas surrounding. And so a lot of the conversations in School of Music, for example, have been specifically about, okay, well, kind of, what kind of services could we bring? And, you know, one of the, one of the basic um, services that, that the School of Music can provide is, is um, helping improve the uh, formal music education, usually through the various bands programs and middle schools and, um, and high schools have and in these places in rural Indiana. As you uh, organized and put together this pre-conference symposium and, and brought other scholars, what are some of the issues or perspectives that were mo maybe most surprising or, or compelling um, that, that you think this, this particular symposium will help bring forth some dialogue and discussion around? So, I mean, there, there's still a lot of work to be done in just a basic mapping out and defining all of these different band-based traditions in many parts of Latin America, many of which are still um, not well-documented and, and talked about. But there's certainly also another interesting uh, component um, in ethnomusicology, but in a lot of other of our related fields, uh, there's been a growing concern with um, heritage preservation and heritage safeguarding and intangible cultural heritage initiatives. And more and more what one is seeing in different parts of Latin America is that Brass bands themselves are becoming the subject of a lot of these studies. So, uh, we, I, as another major theme, is, is precisely what we're looking at is the kind of intersection between brass band ensembles and the roles that they have in different kind of grassroots communities, and how that is kind of uh, dovetailing with either intangible cultural heritage preservation initiatives, or in some cases with other kind of uh, related aspects of cultural policy and, and cultural ownership. One of the things that uh, struck me looking at the program is that in addition to a series of academic papers, the keynote um, is also described as a performance workshop in Afro-Colombian brass band music. So the inclusion of a, a workshop seems rather unusual for a keynote. Why was it important to incorporate a performance workshop into the symposium? And what do you see coming out of that, that particular keynote? 
one one of the interesting things about people who end up doing Brassman research, a lot of them, not everybody, is that all all most of us at one point or another uh, played in some sort of a band or brass band, and and so that the interest has always gravitated uh, in part because um, you know we've participated in in, in these kinds of of events. And when we're when we're looking for an idea of a keynote, a colleague of ours, Michael Biedenbaum Quintero, who uh, who has worked with Leonidas Valencia and with his his wife Ana Maria Arango, he says, "Well, you should you should check the stuff that Leonidas is doing because it might be an interesting thing to do." And we kind of started looking at his work and also Ana Maria's work. Ana Maria has actually done a. Uh, a very nice uh, ethnographic film about um, some of Leonidas's work, and um, and there's going to be a second pre-conference as part of SEM, uh, which is specifically based on a on an ethnographic film. So we thought it would be kind of an interesting way of having a little bit of a crossover between both pre-conferences by um, by by having Ana Maria come and and and, and present here the day after uh, at IU Cinema. And alongside, since she was going to be presenting her film, we, we thought that well, be, it'd be great to also have Leonidas kind of come in. And, and a lot of what Leonidas does is he he's part of a large consortium of researchers who are documenting all the musical traditions in the, in the Chocó region. Uh, he's also an activist. He's worked with the um, Ministry of Culture in Colombia, trying to implement and adapt uh, Afro-Colombian repertoire to, to brass band repertoire in the region and other parts of Colombia. He is a well-known and beloved activist, also a very well-known uh, musician of this music. And so it seemed kind of like a like a really nice thing to be able to invite somebody who's actually kind of doing this kind of work and kind of doing this kind of participating. And if we're going to have that kind of person, even though he's he's perfectly happy to um, just give a presentation on, on the regional traditions from the Choco region, which is part of what he's going to do, uh, we would be missing out on a huge opportunity uh, not to have him do what he does best, which is actually kind of teach some of this music to people. So he's going to do an introductory presentation of the regional styles of the Choco, and then he has sent us uh, some music, and the idea is with a combination of... Uh, of anybody who's coming to our pre-conference, plus uh, we're also kind of trying to get involved some of the uh, students at the School of Music here in Indiana uh, to kind of come together and then kind of have somebody who, who's kind of grown up in this tradition to kind of coach us through how to play this music and, and what does it sound like in, in practice. There's always this uh, situation where we're excited about um, trying to figure out how to bring in our scholarship in conversation with the with our listening habits and our ways of engaging in other forms of musicking, and uh, so we're so I think that you know bringing a keynote as a sort of practical purpose uh, serves a practical purpose as well as trying to figure out a way to enjoy it. And, and many of these traditions are very organic, so some of them depend on um, notation, but not all of them. Many of them depend on sort of the organic ways in which and the aspects of which can't be notate, notated. And so it's a wonderful thing to be able to kind of experience a different way of engaging and seeing what is down on the page and what is not, what can be put down on the page and what can't. Um, and I think that that's uh, something else that can be addressed this way. <laughs>
how, how would you define success for this pre-conference symposium? What, what is the ultimately that you hope attendees will better understand as the symposium concludes? For me, uh, being able to have this pre-conference on this particular topic in and of itself is, is a success because it's, it's actually creating a space for all of these different scholars and, and other people who have been nipping at the edges of, of, of the, the fact that this is a larger topic that should be addressed uh, in a major way to kind of come together uh, in, in a forum where they can not only kind of share their own research, but where they can also have kind of a space to kind of talk about the possibility of growing this into different directions, whether that would be more competitive research or perhaps, you know, uh, uh, putting together an edited volume of, of works or, or even developing kind of more outreach initiatives, whether uh, at, at the school level or, or working in conjunction with musicians like Leonidas. Um, so I think the, the opportunity to bring everybody together to, to kind of substantially talk about this rather than feeling that this is a topic that people just kind of address with in isolation is, is for me, kind of one of, one of the, the main things. Um, be, I mean, beyond that, I mean, I think that there is a larger kind of conversation to be have about brass bands, and perhaps needs to start in, in the Latin America region, but it can certainly expand to many other regions. I mean, there's all these phenomenal brass band traditions in Eastern Europe, in South Asia, um, that, again, are fairly present when you go to these places, but do not necessarily... Uh, are fairly well represented in, in the ethnomusicological literature or, or, or in like the interest of ethnomusicology these days. And so to have a larger conversation like that, um, Suzelle Riley and, and Helena Simonette had an excellent uh, edited volume about the history of placements around the world. Um, we're hoping that this pre-conference will kind of help kind of jumpstart that interest again and, and kind of move things in that direction basically the three points of, of being able to measure success for those who didn't have an awareness of those traditions that they just receive that attention and, and sort of marvel at it perhaps and, and think about how diverse that space is. For those who uh, have already been present and working in regions where they have brass bands traditions that they might be looking around and seeing the similarities and differences in these other traditions that exist uh, elsewhere, um, and, and find spaces for uh, sort of synergy between that. And, and building upon that, of course, those who have been working in those areas for a while, that they feel that their work is supported and perhaps they gain more inspiration to be able to continue that work as they, uh, you know, hear the, hear, and hear the response to what I, which I hope is going to be fairly positive of, uh, of the people that are presented at this conference. the pre-conference is coming up and we'd like to see many people there as possible to kind of help listen to some wonderful music and some wonderful research that's being presented at that particular point um, about this topic and hope to see you there and if you play an instrument be sure to bring it because there'll be chances to use it thank you both uh very much again for your time and i look forward to seeing both of you at the pre-conference thanks so much Trevor. yeah we appreciate it thank you Trevor. thank you bye-bye bye-bye more information about the 2019 SEM conference and pre-conference symposia can be found at ethnomusicology.org. 
Thank you again to Javier Leon, director of the Latin American Music Center at the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music, and Ed Wolf, associate professor of ethnomusicology and coordinator of the World Music Series at the University of Oregon. Ethnomusicology is produced with the help and support of many people. Thanks to our student research and production assistant, Miranda Henry, consulting editor, Harry Berger, and our advisory board members, Portia Maltby, Les Gay, Martin Stokes, David Kaminsky, and Leon Garcia-Corona. Additional support and encouragement has been provided by SEM First Vice President, Judith Gray, and SEM Executive Director, Stephen Stimfley. This podcast is produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology in collaboration with KRUI and with support from the University of Iowa College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Iowa Center for Research by Undergraduates. Thank you.